Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, the naming master of all time, Mr. Ethan Sachs. You've done it again. I didn't think it was possible with LCI, and this is brilliant. How does it come to you? Here's the thing, is that you provide all of the content for the episodes, I come in with, you know, our housekeeping stuff, the ad breaks, the titles, the editing. We've really, we've really sh- fully shifted our roles for the <laughs> podcast here. I don't know. I look, I'm, I'm gifted. What can I say? Yeah, I am excited to chat some one drops. I do think that's a great way to frame the format. I, I think it's a, a huge determining factor in what's going on. It's wild to think that Phyrexia All Will Be One was perhaps the one of the most aggressive sets we've seen. And I think this, maybe not by aggressive standards, outclasses it, but by one drop standards, certainly does. You have a point in the show notes later on that I think is great about like, you know, thinking back to one, the mulligan rules that we had for ourselves there of you just can't start the game on turn three. And I was like, oh, duh, I need to be mulliganing way more than I am right now. Yes. Yeah, for sure. You just can't start a game with a three drop. It's not acceptable. (laughs) So it's week one, right? We finally got to get our hands on the cards with everybody else online or get our digital hands on the cards, I should say. And I, you know, I sort of said this to you a little bit beforehand, but I was like, I think we have a substantial number of takes from last week that we may need to walk back this week. Yeah, I, I agree and disagree with that point. We'll get into <laughs> it. In the show, I do I do agree that there are some to walk back. Yeah, I think, I mean, we, we have, I, I didn't feel like I had to completely, you know, 180 on my thoughts on the format. And certainly some thoughts that we touched on last week, I felt like I even pushed harder in that direction about one drops. But some specific cards that I feel like I understand, some mechanics, I think we owe Descend an apology, but we'll get into all that a little bit later. So we're just going to do as much of an info dump as we can this week with all of our drafts under our belt, um, looking at the Lords of Limited Discord, seeing the discourse on Twitter, watching other people's streams, getting all that information synthesized and funneled into this episode. And I think framing it around one drops is really going to help. And I think help contextualize a lot of the other stuff. Like once I started to think about the set in terms of what happens on turn one, it helped illuminate some things that I couldn't quite put words to, you know, about like why colors weren't performing well or whatever. So before we get into all that stuff, some housekeeping stuff. First things first is the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show. There's a lot of great perks over at the Patreon page. You know what we've got coming up this weekend? After Thanksgiving, after everyone's belly is full of turkey in the States, we've got an arena open coming up. So we've got a chance to play some sealed on Saturday. Get your pools open. You know what a great place is to compare your pools, to get feedback on your builds the Lord's Unlimited Discord. And then you get to cheer people on on day two for their drafts, get to get excited about people winning the $500 1K or the top prize of 2K on Sunday. I am jonesing to cash. I have, (laughs) I think the last three, I've made the second draft and then fizzled out, which is just like, like, it's fun. It's fun to play for high stakes, but I'd also like to receive some of those stakes this weekend, you know? I am just glad to have an excuse to play best of three for a week. Uh, Best of one has savaged my soul this past week in this format. And I was already thinking that I was going to switch to best of three. And now I just have a reason to do it without feeling like I'm just slinking my tail between my legs over to best of three because I couldn't cut it in best of one. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah, because best of one is the super duper ultra awesome sauce invite only cues. You don't want to play in the best of three cues. Anyway, so we've got a great community of folks to help you out with your sealed pool and all that stuff in the discord. Some great rewards as you 
you move up the tiers on the Patreon, you get access to the show a day in advance. Actually, get it in your ears on Sunday. Uh, get access to show notes if you want to see the show in written form, see our uh, delirious thoughts and lists and bullets. And you can even get access to monthly coaching sessions with me or Ben. So if any or all of that sounds of interest to you or you just want to show some love our way, head on over to the Patreon page. Coaching sessions clearly paying off. I got a text message from my one coaching student last night that he crushed you on his win and in game for Mythic. So shout out to coaching. <laughs> wow. Wow. Could be you. Could be you folks. And we want to shout out our new patrons the first week that they join. So this week we are welcoming Evan, Jordan, Alex, Andrew, Frederick, Patrick, Blake, Dylan. My hands are blank. Nick, Peter, Alan, Jeff, and Raphael. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. Show is also brought to you by Cool Stuff Inc., coolstuffinc.com, where they've got cool stuff in stock. And right now, that is Lost Caverns of Ixalan Draft Boosters, the last real draft format before play boosters take over. You got to get those booster boxes, store them in the closet. It's also coming up on the holiday season. So I imagine. Like us, you are maybe someone who struggles with gift giving, or maybe you're on top of the gift giving and you want to get after it early, but CoolStuffInc.com has whatever you need for the holidays for those gaming people in your lives, whether it's board game, whether it's magic, whether it's Yu-Gi-Oh! They've got it all over at CoolStuffInc.com. And please, for the holiday season, make sure you use them to support your loved ones with checkout code LOL, all caps, to get 5% off your order and to let them know that we sent you over there. We would really appreciate it and they would too. And then two uh, reminders, I guess, really one, because we already chatted about the Arena Open happening this week. We've got the Lords versus Resources Showdown, number 16, coming up on Tuesday, the 21st at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Be there, be square, watch us tie it up, or get crushed in resounding fashion. Either way, we'd love to see you. It's not possible. I have too much good luck stored up. <laughs> this is this is maybe the worst start to a format I've had all time. I didn't want to look, and I, I finally looked this morning before the podcast. I have a 50% win rate <laughs> in this format right now, which is atrocious for me. <laughs> it's not great. But look, you got you to get those reps in. Losing also comes with learning. So what have we learned this week? Where do you want to start in terms of like framing, walking back some of the stuff from last week, checking in on where we're at? Let's start with some top commons because I feel like we had a pretty solid handle on this and I, I feel like I do have kind of a mental list for the top commons in each color. And I think you did this a couple episodes ago where we checked it versus the 17 lands data, which I think is good. Also, mm -hmm. some shocking things to me when I opened 17 lands for the first time to to look at these top commons after I put mine on paper. So you had to bite your tongue before the show because there's <laughs> one you just like can't wait to talk about. There is. I'm so excited to talk to you just about that, about the format. You're like yeah. a little tease before we started recording here. Just had your toast. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to talk <laughs> magic with you. Had to wait like 15 minutes. Sorry, bud. All right, so we're getting into white top commons. Number one, Miner's Guidewing. Speaking of, let's chat one drops. One for the 1-1 one, one Flying Vigilance. When it dies, a creature you control explores. I have in parentheses here, assuming you get multiples, because I do think it it is not the best if you are not making it your plan A. Still playable and certainly good, but not like top common worthy. Do you know what I mean? So I think it might fall down as people start to get on this life a little bit more. There's also a broader conversation here about assuming you get multiples with like framing the format as one drops matter and starting on turn one, whatever is that white has to be your base color for miners guide wing to be the thing you're interested in getting in multiples. Then it's your top common, right? Because for your one drops to be effective, they have to be 
cards you can deploy on turn one, which means you have to have that color of mana untapped in your hand on turn one as well, which means we're talking like at least nine, if not more sources of that base color. So if you're something like a 10-7 split blue-white, Miner's Guidewing plummets, I think, a little bit in this list. And I would also say what style of deck you're drafting and sure. and how just how the draft is going. I like once you get to two Miner's Guide Wings, the third copy is like incredible. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, this next common might just be the best common in white, which is Ultec Cloud Guard. Three in white for the three, two flyer ETBs make a one, one. Like that is a more intrinsically powerful card than Miner's Guidewing, but Miner's Guidewing plays so well in the context of the format. So ceiling on Miner's Guidewing, I think, is higher than Ultec Cloud Guard, but the floor is also much lower than the floor on Ultec Cloud Guard. Ultec Cloud Guard does what it does every time you cast it, and it's just a rock solid magic card. Right. Yeah. Cloud Guard is yeah, pretty incredible. And then number three on this list, we have Tinker's Tote. And I think I co signed this pretty hard, but th- what's incredible is that. There are so many more commons in white that we could talk about. Like white's really deep. I think it might be just the best color in the format. Where where you at on that? That's where I'm at too. Right now in the in the updated color power rankings, I've got it equal to blue. That as is shifting up as a change, but I, I think it might be the best. It's so good and so versatile. Yeah, good, versatile, and deep. Like it plays offense, plays defense, can be your base color, great support color, deep roster of commons. That's that's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. So Tinker's Tote we have at number three. That's the two and a white. Uh, ETBs makes two one one artifact creature gnomes, and you could pay white to sacrifice it to gain three life. But then also just other things to think about with white's commons. Once you get a couple guide wings, or maybe some guide wings and the one one flying lifelink bat that when you descend, yeah. you know you you scry. Iron Paw Aspirant just rockets up your white pick order. One and a white for a one two ETB. Put a plus one plus one counter on something. Yeah, I had this insanely aggressive busted oops all one drops deck that was like mostly mono white. I do have I went into the lab, Ben, and I played four copies of Relics Roar. That's the the single blue instant target artifact or creature is base power four three or base power toughness four three until end of turn. Oh, you really played- didn't want me to be right about that from our <laughs> our crash course, huh? Uh well, so here here's what happened. So I had a deck that was just like so many one drops, I think five miners guide wings two Ruin Lurker Bats, and only one Iron Paw Aspirant. But I realized that there's this holy trinity of Guidewing on one, Aspirant on two, put the counter on Guidewing. And then you get to play Glorifier of Suffering on three. That's the two and a white three, two. When it ETBs, you can sack something. And if you do, you put a counter on each of up to two creatures. So you sack the Aspirant with that. And now you have a four, three with the Glorifier. And you've got a three, three Flying Vigilant attacking on turn three, which is really powerful. And I think Glorifier is pretty low in White's pecking order at the moment. I think you can get them pretty late. But I have found that curve of one, it doesn't even have to be Aspirant, but Aspirant just plays really well there, of one, two, three of Flyer something Glorifier to be really strong. Yeah, for sure. So if we take a look at what 17 land says to compare, it's very similar. It's got Ultec Cloud Guard 1, Miner's Guide Wing 2, Petrify number 3. Let's chat Petrify. I've come up on it a bit. We, I think both in midweek were like, oh, Petrify is terrible. I've come up on it, especially in aggressive white decks. Like if you're planning to get the game over with quicker, uh-huh. Petrify, I think, 
does pretty good work as two mana shut down a creature. And even if your opponent gets some benefit, you know, a turn or two down the road, not the end of the world, I think. I think I agree. Where are you at in terms of number of copies? Like in those decks, how many petrifies would you be willing to play? Or is there no ceiling? I think two would be the max. Two would be the max. Okay, I I buy that. Yeah, I think... I think that's a really good point to make in terms of what kind of deck you have, because if you're at all defensive, Cosmium Blast, the deal four to an attacking or blocking creature, and the Saw Blades, the uncommon artifact that deals five to a tapped creature, those are just much better removal spells, I think, for defensive decks or more late game decks. But I agree. I think Petrify, it's tough just because... Craft exists, and then different colors have so many things to do with the things like Fanatical Offering to Sack or Acolyte of Affliction, whatever, bounce it, pick it up with the Malicious Pup or what a mischievous pup. But I, I think I agree. I think Petrify is better than Blech, as we perhaps thought earlier in the week. Yeah, well, and I think in the context of aggressive decks, but also the other white removal spell, the two and a white exile tapped thing. Well, it's five and a white exile something. Then if it's tapped, it costs yes, two and yes, a white. Yes, yes. That one's also great in defensive decks. So white's got these three removal spells that I, like aren't I don't know that ranking them is necessarily helpful. It's just whichever one your style of deck wants mm-hmm. to slot in as your interaction. And speaking of interaction, so good. I think other than the format starts on turn one, like if we were to do our episode of what are the five tweets or the how do you tweet about this format the most succinctly, I would say format starts on turn one and removal is so important. I drafted a deck that I think we'll talk about a little bit later when we chat about Descend, walking that take back, where I picked up three Join the Deads. If I had drafted that deck on Tuesday, I would have taken zero join the deads because every time I came across it, there was something else in the pack that I was like, ooh, I want that. But I just knew that I needed to interact. And one of the reasons like, you know, someone on Twitter replied to me like, oh, isn't join the dead like premium removal? It's fine, I think. Now, I wouldn't say premium like dead weight and a braid are in my mind premium because they interact cheaply. Because the format starts on turn one, it does feel awkward when you're like, do I have to join the dead this miner's guide wing? But you do have to do that. So like, cannot be understated. And even in your aggressive decks, like there are some times where I think your deck can just be, I'm doing my thing. I don't need to interact. You need to interact with me. But even those decks, I think, need removal which is not something I would always say. I would often be like, eh, you're aggressive decks. You want mostly threats, like maybe a couple pieces of removal, fine. I think you really need to be able to get stuff off the board in this format. Well, it's how you catch up when you're on the back foot because blocking is so hard because so many of the good threats are evasive and there's so mm-hmm. many good tricks. Like, So even if you've got the flyers to line up with your opponent's flyers, if they're the one attacking with the open mana and you're tapped out, it's just such a tough spot. So you need, but I would say removal is good, but like the good removal is good, right? Like rumbling rock slides three in a red is just horrible. Like it's yes. just irrelevant in the format. Join the Correct. deads like up out as high as you want to go on mana value. Like you don't want to be paying more than three mana for removal because you just start trading down on mana so much that it's not worth it. Yeah, for sure. So while we're talking about each of these individual colors, I wanted to start chatting about the one drops and what these colors offer. And so white not only has all the things that we listed before in terms of deep roster of commons, can play both offense and defense well, starts on turn one, but it also has some of the best 
one drops in the format, right? It's got the two evasive threats in Miner's Guidewing and Ruin Lurker Bat. It also gets a really good removal spell in Duskrow's Reliquary at Uncommon, the single white additional cost to cast it, sack an artifact or a creature, but then it just exiles the thing until they deal with the Reliquary. It has Ward 2 also, but people just often can't really deal with it. Like I've been starting to think like, man, I, I think I need to start, do I need to start main decking non-creature removal as well in this format? Where are you at on that? I have been. I've been main decking one copy of Artifact Enchantment Interaction. Yeah. Yeah. When speaking of that, White also gets Deconstruction Hammer at common, which I do think like back to our Crash Course argument, I do think it's a player in this format, but not because my argument of Short Sword is just good is probably a bad argument, but because of Evasive Flyers in White, like turn one Guidewing, turn two Hammer Equip is great. And then there are targets for it later in the game to blow something up that's relevant. You know, your opponent drops the Manufactory, the three white blue, make a four four. Like, what are you going to do? You got to kill that, right? Yeah, got to kill that. I agree. I I love the hammer. And then also I want to shout out Market Gnome, like it's craft fodder, it's defensive speed a little bit. That three toughness, I think, is important in terms of defensive speed. Um, So just that's so many one drops, Guidewing, Bat, Reliquary, Market Gnome, Hammer, White just gets a lot of tools in that department. Right. White is the best at one drop, which is part of the reason that White's making a very solid case for just being the best color. I I updated the 17 lands tier rankings on our website also. So if that's something you're about, those will be up to date when you're listening to this episode. I just if you look at it, I mean, I've just got White's cards rated higher than blues, too, I think now. I think we just have to admit it. We just have to come clean. (laughs) White's the best color. All right, let's take a quick ad break and then be back with the rest of the colors. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. This time of year can be a lot, and it's natural to feel some sadness or anxiety about it. Luckily, I don't have to deal with this quite the same way, but I used to get so stressed around the holidays when I worked in the service industry. It's really hard to get time off around the holidays. It's often your busiest time of year, and you want to make sure you have time for your friends and family as well. I'm honestly just getting anxious thinking about it. This time of year is tough in the band world, too. You're coming off marching band, you're telling yourself things are going to get less busy, and then you've got a couple more weeks to get through. I think I'm over the hump a little bit, but right around that time, the time changes too. Your sleep schedule gets thrown off, gets dark earlier. Just a lot going on. That's where better help comes in. Therapy can be a bright spot amid all of the stress and change, and even something to look forward to, to give you the tools to manage everything going on. Being able to confide in and problem solve with someone outside of your friends and family is incredibly useful. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp dot com slash lords today to get 10% off your first month. That's better help H E L P dot com slash lords. And now back to the show. So what's going on with blue? Blue, we've got one big change. So number one slot, still Waterwind Scout, tune a blue two two flyer, make a map token. That card's incredible. The number two slot, Oaken Siren, one and a blue for the one two flying with vigilance, taps to add a blue to cast your artifact spells. And then in number three slot, we've got inverted iceberg with the caveat that that's largely not a super aggressive card. So one and a blue ETB, draw a card, mill a card, and then you can craft with six mana to make a six six that taps or untaps something when it attacks. Iceberg Titan, I believe. Yes. I think that maybe you play like a copy as a cantripping artifact to trigger your stuff in some blue red aggro decks. But other than that, I think Iceberg is like 
it's premium in blue black descend control. It's really good in blue white control decks. Um, but I, I agree with that. Let's ch- chat about a card that is not on our list, but is performing quite well in 17 lands. And that's Cogwork Wrestler. Single blue, one, two, flash. When it enters the battlefield, a creature gets minus two, minus O oh until end of turn. Speaking of those one drops, we're chatting one drops. It's the name of the episode. That's the name of the episode. Well, so Cogwork Wrestler, I think. Also, the next step here is this also brings to bear another conversation about the stats of the one drops. But I just want to get your sense of where you're at with Wrestler. Like, why isn't it on our list? Do you like the card? How highly do you pick it? Yeah, the card's incredible. I'm happily playing two copies, I think. I could maybe see a deck where I would want to play three if I had needed artifacts and wanted to shove my curve lower. It's a real sick blowout with the red one drop, the one two that gets haste and plus one plus oh. If you have an artifact, you get to like attack in with that. They block, they think they're bouncing and then you're like, oh, no, 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 no. Here's an artifact at instant speed and my thing is plus one plus oh now. But just sticking it successfully is such a huge swing in the game, and it's very difficult to play around. Like, Even if you, you're, pick, you're, if you're like, you could reveal it to your opponent, like, what are they going to do? Because, like, the games are so shoved low right now in the top of the best of one queues, because everybody, I think, for the most part, from my opponent, seem to know what's up in the format. And so you're playing against all these decks that have shoved their curves lower and lower and lower. So the decisions you make in the beginning of the game just keep getting crunched together. And there's so much that happens in the beginning of the game. And combat is happening. Like There's no way to avoid it from what cards are good in the format. And so Cogwork Wrestler, as a result, is quite good. Yeah. I don't think it quite cracks ahead of it would be hard for me to take it ahead of inverted iceberg though early like once i knew i were in a very aggressive deck then i'd be willing to take it over inverted iceberg but i think just blanket advice for taking cards in the format i think inverted iceberg is a more powerful card than cockwork wrestling and so white we think plays well offense and defense do you think blue does the same is blue better suited for one or the other i think it just depends on what colors you're pairing it with i don't think it itself wants to go one way or the other. I think if you're pairing it with white, it wants to be a lot more aggressive. Typically, if you're pairing it with black, wants to be defensive. Typically, like it's, it's got cards that can support either way. I think it is slanted a little more aggressively than not. Like the, the blue white decks that play Waterwind Scout and Oak and Siren, the blue white and blue red decks, those I think are the strongest blue decks. Yeah. And Oak and Siren, we haven't, I don't think, given enough love to. It's a very unassuming card. Like, it just does so much. It wears all of the equipment very well. Like, then it's a 2-3 Flying Vigilance. It ramps you. It pecks in for damage. It just does everything you want in the format as far as being hyper-efficient and getting you ahead on board while being an evasive threat. Well, and and I think perhaps the most important thing is that it blanks the Bat, the Miner's Guidewing, and Spyglass Siren, which is is one of Blue's one drops at Uncommon, like that's one of its biggest boons. Like, yeah, it does all that other stuff, but the fact that you get to be like, I'm doing my thing, Miner's Guidewing on one, and there's an Oaken Siren on two, you're like, okay, now I need an Aspirant, or I need a map token, and I need it to not hit a land, etc. or my game plan is going to fall pretty flat. Right, and then they put a Pirate's Hat on Oaken Siren, and it's a 2-3, and it still blanks your 2-2 Miner's Guidewing. Yeah, for sure. One of the things about Oaken Siren that also is brought to bear with Cogwork Wrestler is that they have two toughness. And so I think when the, we'll we'll talk about this when we get to black in a second, but black has neither an evasive nor a two toughness one drop, which leaves it sorely 
out of sorts in this format currently, I think. Um, so the fact that Siren has that two toughness to block the flyers, the fact that Wrestler has two toughness, even though it's on the ground, it does something a bit more. That's really important. And then the the flip of that, I've noticed, like I like the gnome, the, the colorless 2-1 that can find a land or a cave and put it on top of your library. But I have found two mana 2-1s in general to be be awkward in this format. Like they're just not super well positioned. And that's part of the sort of like one, one flyers are good. One twos are well positioned. And so then, and because those cost one mana, the two ones are not super well positioned. Like Cogwork wrestler can just eat a two one. No problem. Yeah. That feels real bad. (laughs) It feels real bad. So I think being aware of that sort of like rock, paper, scissors or whatever, however you want to think about it in terms of power and toughness, that trickle down effect from, well, because of this, then this, then this of one ones to one twos to two ones is important to know. And the, the last thing I want to point out here, just talking about blues, one drops that affect the board, it has no interaction, right? It's only two are Siren and Wrestler. Well, but Wrestler is interaction, right? I mean, so I would say I would make the case that it has very good interaction with Cogwork Wrestler. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. What's going on with Black? Black, we've got similar rankings with one new player. Deadweight number one, uh, that's the minus two, minus two enchantment, and join the dead, one black, black, instant, minus five, minus five in the number two slot. And then new player, death cap, marionette, one and a black for a one, one death touch. When it ETBs, you may mill two cards. Where are you at on Deadweight versus join the dead? Do you like the first Deadweight more than the first join the dead? I like multiple Deadweights over the first join the dead. And so here's why I'm on that. So if we think about the format starts on turn one, Black's one drops, only three at common or uncommon. Deadweight, Greedy Freebooter, the one one when it dies, you get a treasure and you scry one. And Bloodthorn Flail, that equipment that I think is currently unplayable, right? Three mana to equip, plus two, plus one, or you can discard a card to equip it. So that leaves you with Deadweight and Freebooter. Freebooter, I think, is another thing we kind of have to walk back from last week. Like, we were both like, this is good. I'm kind of like, I'll play it, but I'm kind of off of Freebooter because so looking at what Black has to do on turn one, it cannot be aggressive, right? It just has no ability to compete the way that certainly white, blue will get to red. All of these colors can get on board on turn one in a really good way. Black can't do that. So, Black's way to combat that is with dead weights. And so, I think. You, If you are a black deck, you can't really be assertive, at least at, at common. Like maybe you have some higher rarity stuff that you're messing around with. But even, even my base black decks, and I've had some success with black this week. We'll talk about Descend a little bit later, maybe now, whenever. But I think black Descend decks are real. But Deadweight's so important to not get run over early. I think Join the Dead's good, but I would take, I would probably, I'm trying to think if I would take three. I'd definitely take the second Deadweight over the first Join the Dead. That's what my gut says is right. I've just had some awkward experiences with Deadweight where I wished it were Join the Dead, but... Your opponent can flam like an aspirant on two, and then it's a two three, and you're like, "What am I doing with this dead weight in my hand again?" Right? Yeah. It's or or if you don't draw the dead weight on time, uh-huh. and like the Oaken Siren is already a two three because it's wearing equipment, or it's got a, a plus one plus one counter from the aspirant on it. Like, what, you're gonna like dead weight it, and they still have a mana dork like after you dead weight it. You know what I mean? Like, well, that's I why I want to take multiple. That's why I'm almost like, do I want three? Because I when I'm drafting black, I want dead weight in my opener every time so that's why i'm almost like maybe i want the third dead weight over the first join the dead you know sure that's what my gut says the dead weight's better but i just have had some bad experiences so i wanted to do a gut check there yeah yeah, yeah. so 
I also want to talk Death Cat Marionette about why this is good, because I, I feel very good about it being in the top black commons. I've had a bit of an epiphany about Descend. And this is more of an in theory thing for me. I've only drafted one deck that I'm in the middle of right now, but I've played against some Descend decks too and just gotten absolutely slapped around by some really good Descend decks. I think for Descend 4, the key, and tr- tell me if you think this is wrong because it sounds like you have more experience than I do, but I think the key is just you try to mill two twice, right? And then you're theoretically you're at descend four or at descend four with very little work because like presumably if one creature dies or something, you, you should have it online if you mill two twice. So I think those cards that mill two are kind of the, the thing that ties it together. Yeah, I don't think so. Death Cat Marionette is an interesting card. I don't hate this as the number three common for us right now, um, but it's another thing that I think we want to zoom in on about how black plays in the early turns is that like it doesn't fix the problem of being able to deal with cheap threats on turn two either, right? Death Cat Marionette is a two mana one one death touch. Like ideally, you're trading that off with something larger later in the game, right? Skullcap Snail or whatever, the one one that makes him discard. Like it's cute, but again, like that's not doing anything for you in terms of combating the evasive threats or the two toughness cheap cards, like. Black has a tough time. Right. Well, and I think that's why Skullcap Snail is out for me of the top commons because yes. it, it's an appealing magic card. Like, I think appeals to our sensibilities as magic players, but it just doesn't do anything for you in the context of what you said, which is black can't be aggressive. And so, like, your whole goal with black is to just please don't die, please don't die, please don't die. And then I'll be able to, like, do some stuff later in the game that is presumably better than my opponents. And Skullcap Snail helps you with none of that. It's not aggressive and it doesn't help you not die. Like choking your opponent's resources doesn't matter because the good decks can operate on very few resources like they don't need to hit their six land drop or whatever to you know beat your face in. So Skullcap Snail just really is kind of homeless, I think, to me. I think that's true. I mean, I think you could you can play it. Sure. It's just not a premium card. I agree. Well, and I think the thing that I want to shout out again about Deathcat Marionette is like, yeah, it's not ideal to trade it off with a one drop, but the fact that you can block their Tomb Raider with it on turn two right when they're attacking you with their 2-2 and they're curving out aggressively like it's nice that you have that option so marionette i think i'm in for here at number three i also want to shout out a couple more cards which is tithing blade being out and it's like it's a card that like i keep having a love-hate relationship with like there are times where i put it in my deck and draw it and i'm like this is the most abysmal card ever (laughs) and then there are times where i'm like Two mana, destroy your seven drop dino, let's go. <laughs> and like, it's really hard for me to wrestle with those two ideas. It's not good, right? Like, similar to Snail, I think not good, but you will still play it. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and Visage of the Dread at Uncommon as the two mana, like you get to snag an artifact or a creature out of their hand, and then you can craft it with two creatures, which is quite a cost. Um, crafting with two creatures for six mana to get a five four menace when it enters the battlefield or attacks you can mill too it's awkward that that doesn't affect the board like it feels good because you're like oh i can snag their five drop out of their hand or whatever but their one and two drops are killing you while that's happening though like yeah it just doesn't solve black's problem of i just need to stay alive you just need to stay alive so that's why dead weight is premium join the dead is premium death cat marionette also premium and just recognize that if you are black if you are base black, you are not aggressive. 
just like it's not possible for Black to play an aggressive game plan. Well, and I format. think you care about descending, which is why the yes. Cat Marionette I think is in the the top comments. And I do think descend mm-hmm. is real. So going back to we forgot to say seventeen lands for blue. Seventeen lands blue is very similar to us. It's Waterwind Scout one, Cogwork Wrestler two, Oaken Siren three, Inverted Iceberg four. So almost identical there. And black, when I looked at 17 lands, was a bit all over the place, sorting by all users and top users. But the one common thread was that all of the black commons that were towards the top of black are just cheap, like mm. all the one and two mana cards, like nothing expensive is is anywhere near the top. So just trying to keep your curve low, I think, with that sentiment of like, just need to not die. And you got to keep pace with the blue, white and red decks that are, you know, getting on board on turn one with those one drops. Yep. All right, moving on to red. I feel the least confident here about our top common rankings. Number one slot, still a braid, one in red, instant deal three or destroy an artifact. The card is incredible in the context of the format, just premium interaction. Number two, Sunfire Torch. That's the equipment that gives plus one plus oh. And when your creature attacks, you can sacrifice it to deal two to any target. Huge player in red, white and blue, red aggro. Yeah. And then the number three slot, Goblin Tomb Raider, the red one, two, that when you have an artifact gets plus one plus oh and has haste. I want to shout out Torch. I mean, it's a similar reason why Deadweight is performing so well for me. But Torch, I think I sort of at a certain point I was like, ah, you've got Torch, you've got uh, Idol of the Deep King, there's Deadweight. Like, how many ways do you want to deal with two toughness creatures? Turns out a lot because not only do they deal with the cheap things, but the two best commons in Waterwind Scout and Oltec Cloud Guard are two toughness flyers. And so it's great to be able to take those out as well. Well, and it pumps things, right? So Sunfire Torch is the best of the ways to deal too, because it, it pumps your threats until you need to use it. Late in the game, it can go face. Like yep. basically once you cast it, if you don't need to use it, says your opponent has minus two life. All of those things are very appealing in a red artifact deck. Mm-hmm. So if we get to 17 lands data, this was absolutely baffling to me. And I wanted to talk to you about this card so badly <laughs> before we started recording. 17 lands says that Itali's favor is the number one red common. If you sort by all users, if you sort by top users, I I was flabbergasted. And this is no shtick about the data. This is like me being real. Like I I bag on 17 lands a lot. I I do not understand this, but I'm willing to believe that it's a good card. But this is hard to argue with, right? Hard to argue with. 62.9% 62.9% win rate among top users. That's some, high. Some of that could be inflation from blue red. I I mean, I just don't. I, this is the first time in my life I, I have felt like a magic boomer a little bit because I, I just don't see it. Like, you know, because I feel like you and I have had the, the experience of talking to older, more experienced magic players about like some of the commons that we think are good that are just poo pooed, I think by people who are on like still the removal is premium life. And I'm worried that I'm going to be that talking about Atali's favor. So to everyone that's listening to this right now, if this sounds crazy to you, I'm sorry, but I just want to get on my- YouTube. I'll, I'll gray your beard <laughs> and your hair so that you look appropriately old and fuddy duddy. So here's, here's my two cents about Atali's favor. And I have not stewed on this quite as, as long or as much as you. I haven't, I don't think I've cast the card yet, but in terms of our rules of when I've never seen it cast and been like, this seems good for me. Like (laughs) every time it's cast against me, I'm like, that's a problem. I think one of the problems I had with it in terms of evaluation was I sort of shortcutted. I just assumed that anything that has discover on it is going to be less than its mana value. But Atali's favor is actually 
three, right? It costs three, three and can, its yes, discovery is them. three. You can chain them, which I have seen, and that's really powerful. Um, you know, all the things we're talking about with plus one, plus one counters from Aspirant, map tokens putting counters on stuff, like all of those little buffs, especially on evasive threats, if we're thinking about the format as Jeskai, dropping this on a miner's guidewing or a waterwind scout, whatever, like it's pretty real. Like I haven't played it myself, but I'm not shocked. The more I think about it, the more I'm like, this does make sense to me. I can see all that stuff, but I am still shocked. Like if I had an open 17 lands, we we wouldn't be talking about this card. I, like it's just it was not even on my radar. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. like, I've played against it some, but not a lot. And I think I would have been playing against it a little more, but then, so I saw it in all users and I was expecting when I sorted by top users for it to not be there. And then it was there too when I sorted yeah. by top users. But uh, so arguments against it, I think you have to have a creature. Now you should, if you're playing it in an aggressive deck, like by the mm. time turn three rolls around, if you don't have a one or a two drop, but it's all, there's also some weird tension in that red really wants you to have artifacts. And this is not an artifact. Like, so blue, red and red, white, ostensibly, I think are very good homes for this, but then it's not something you can tap. Like right. for those things that care about that, it doesn't trigger your artifact synergies. It's, it's essentially like a worse version of red tooth genealogist in my mind. And I did not love Red Tooth Genealogist. So the, like, the only thing I can think about is that the, the context of the format is so different from that. It, it is. But it's, yeah. It, it, it really is. I guess so. I don't know. It's so tough for me I, to imagine picking this highly. And I guess I need to start playing with it so that I have some experience with it on my side. And I am going to do that for the first time ever. 17 lands. So you're welcome, Data. You finally got me to try a card. But I cannot wait for the, what do we think, folks? Is it going to be by Wednesday we're going to get the Atali's favor is illegal tweet? <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, I think so. I don't know. It's just hard for me. I can't wrap my head around. I just feel like a dinosaur. I can't wrap my head around where to pick it, when to pick it, when to include it in my deck. Like, it is a complete enigma to me. Like, it's the antithesis of every magic card evaluation skill I have in my head is, like, telling me that it's not a good card. Like, I had it in the F. In our tier list. Like, I, I thought I was never going to play it all format. I don't know. Well, it's tough. Yeah, I think it's hard for me to imagine taking it over a braid. I don't think I can do that just physically, but I think the rest, like, makes sense. And certainly once you've got the cheap stuff, right? Once you've got the Tomb Raiders, and I think also what if you're. Like what's great about this is that it's not a, not a cheap play and not a cheap play. It costs three, but in term, in the context of the format, it's not a cheap play. And so you can still be like base white with like four miners guide wings, be a 10, seven, 11, six split with your mana. And then you have these favors as well. And they play pretty well. I, I could see it. I mean, I, I can see it. It's, I can see both sides of it. Like I can see my reasons for not liking it. I can see the reasons to like it. It's so hard for me to like, think I'm going to pick it. And I guess I just need to start picking it and playing it. I, the, the place I actually am kind of the most excited to try it out is red green dinos. Mm -hmm. I think that might be a better home than blue, red or red, white. I don't know. Cause then you're slapping a, you know, that on your whatever three mana, three, three, and now you have a four, four trampler plus discover three. Right. Like if we, if we skip ahead to green, like if we jump bounce around here a little bit, green's yeah. top common by 17 lands is armored kin collar, which is two and a green for three, three. If you have a dino, you gain three life. That was also not on my radar as a high performing green one. But when I looked at that on 17 lands, I was like, oh yeah, that checks out. It's going to help you not die to the flyers so much. And Atali's favor, like finding your armored kin collars, then it's 
awesome if you hit that or vice versa. Suiting up an armored kin collar with an Atali's favor to turn it into a 4-4 trample mm-hmm. is a real threat. So I, I kind of want to experiment in that life. Yeah, I buy that. I have not. I've seen the power of red green dinos on the other side. I haven't drafted it myself. I have only drafted one base green deck. Still sticking with our take from last week about green perhaps not being the best like I don't think maybe five greater than signs was fair, but I've, I've found it tough to get into green, at least at common. Yeah. So the rest of the red, 17 lands. So Atali's favor, one. Goblin Tomb Raider, two. That's the one drop. Sunshot Militia, three. That's the thing where you can tap two untapped artifact creatures to deal a damage at sorcery speed. Cards excellent. Militia is so good, yeah. Really strong, yeah. And a braid in fourth place, which is shocking to me. I think very hard for me to imagine picking those other cards over a braid. And just to you know, double down on red being great, it also performs well in the one drop department. It gets the Goblin Tomb Raider as a really strong threat. It gets Diamond Pickaxe at Uncommon and Sunfire Torch at Common as great equipment and Triumphant Chomp as cheap interaction at Uncommon. So really doing a ton in the one drop spot there. Diamond Pickaxe plus Zoetic Glyph. Just completely illegal. Have you been beaten down by that? No, I've just been beaten. Like a diamond pickaxe doesn't need anything else. It's just great. Oh, you mean Zoetic Glyph doesn't need anything else? Sure, but both of those. Yeah, you're like two great tastes that taste great together. Yes, I agree. All right, moving on to green. I also don't feel super confident about our common rankings here, but I also don't think they're particularly important, except yeah. if Armored Kincaller is actually that clutch. And I, I am certainly willing to buy Armored Kincaller from 17 lanes. It's, it's high, right? It's the... In terms of the the gap between Kincaller, looking at top users right now, Kincaller at one and Poison Dart Frog at two, there's a one and a half percent gap between those two. That means nothing to me. It's big. <laughs> I, 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 anything I, over a percent is big. Our top commons, my top commons, with the person that has a 50% win rate, so who... <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. (laughs) Number one, Poison Dart Frog. Number two, River Herald Guide, the thing that explores. And Pathfinding Axe Draw, the 4 3 Dino. That has overperformed. It's Pathfinding Axe Draw. It's a problem. Like, every time my opponent's cast it, I'm like, ugh, that's kind of. Well, three toughness is kind of a magic number because all of your cheap stuff, like your Dead Weights and your Idol of the Deep King and your Triumphant Chomp, like all of this stuff that deals with two toughness, you're like, wait a minute, I have to deal with three toughness? Or four, maybe? Right, or four. And then that's that's another one where I, like, that has been impressive in Red Green Dinos, Pathfinding Axe Draw. And then if you get Atali's Favor in there as well, then all of a sudden that's potentially a 6-5 trample. Yeah. And, and you put another thing on the board. So I, I don't know. I, I'm going to try some Atali's Favors out, and we'll, we'll report back next week. Poison Dart Frog, number one, huh? When my opponents go Dart Frog into Axe Draw, I'm kind of like, oh crap like and then they followed up with a five drop dino well and going back to the feeling about blacks the marionette the two mana one one death touch like dart frog in a pinch can just trade with guidewing right can just the trade other with bat yes. like that's pretty important yes yeah all right i'm, I'm in i'm in for dart frog and I, I again i don't feel strongly about it like i'm not the champion of dart frog but it's been annoying no, on the other are. side of the battlefield you are the but, champion of dart frog that's you yes um Green doesn't have a ton of one drops. It has six one mana plays, but I would say Cenote Scout is the only good one of the bunch, right? That's the one mana one one explore at uncommon. It's also got Seeker of Sunlight at common. That's the one drop that you can pay two in a green to have it explore at sorcery speed. It's got similar issues to Freebooter, right? That it's a one mana one one on the ground. And so what does it do it's not doing anything for you it can't be aggressive and it can't block 
the one twos or the one one flyers. Yeah. Sonode Scout premium though. Premium, I agree. But it's just hard to get I have whatever. It's early. I've obviously been I've been more exploring what Black has to offer. Like that's been my sort of going into the lab this past week, trying to figure out that. Cause I feel like I get the Jeskai one drop thing. Black, I feel like has there's something there. Green, I'm I don't know what's there. I'll I'll leave that to <laughs> to smarter people than me. All right, one more ad break, and then we'll be back with updated archetype power rankings. It's Thanksgiving week, which means it's officially time to kickstart your holiday shopping. Or if you're me, it's officially time to start procrastinating about holiday shopping. (laughs) Day men. (laughs) No need to panic, Ethan, because Uncommon Goods is here to make your holiday shopping stress-free by scouring the globe for the most remarkable and truly unique gifts for everyone on your list. By far, the hardest person for me to shop for is my father-in-law. We don't share a ton of interests, and even the gifts that I thought would go over well in the past have fallen flat. My usual solution to this problem is just to not go shopping at all and give no gifts. But I will say, Uncommon Goods is new to me as a result of advertising for it on the podcast, and I clicked the link and toured around our website, and I think I'm going to order some gifts. There it is. With Uncommon Goods, it took me searching for no more than 30 seconds before I came across a Himalayan salt plank for grilling that I think my father-in-law is really going to like. And I never would have come up with something like that on my own. When you shop at Uncommon Goods, you're supporting artists and small independent businesses. These products are high quality, unique, and often handmade in small batches. So shop now before they sell out this holiday season. Turns out, shopping for gifts doesn't have to be stressful. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com lol. That's uncommongoods.com slash LOL for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods. We're all out of the ordinary. All right, we're back with our updated power rankings for the archetypes. S tier, we've got another deck joining blue-white. Blue-white and blue-red, just absolutely incredible. But I think one of the cool things about this format that I'm excited to explore is it already feels like people are pretty on that life, at least in the drafts that I've done. Like, has been tough to draft those decks at times mm-hmm. already in certain pods and i've been facing those decks a lot in you know the mythic ranks i guess that means they're more open at other tables if i'm facing them a lot but i think a- as people start to contest those decks because they all rely on the curve being so low the more people that try to draft those decks they are going to get cannibalized a little bit and i think that's going to maybe hopefully open up some breathing room for some of the things like dinos or blue black descend or other things like that to really get a chance to you know breathe a little bit as it It makes me nervous about the arena open drafts like i just feel like you're gonna face some nutty aggro decks some nutty blue white blue red decks on day two maybe but not if people know what's up right yeah it would be tough i don't know i i mean i'm going to i think exclusively play best of three this week just to see what the format is like in that context because i I do think it is going to be different like high stakes i can't imagine somebody just letting all like in the arena open all of the miners guide wings and all of the ruin lurker bats just fly around the table like they do in the best of one queue sometimes yeah yeah possibly right in tier one we've got red white red green green white and blue black and then the rest like i don't feel super strongly about but these are certainly the decks that have impressed those six and our updated color rankings here are i think we're just going to do it whites in first blue in second red in third green fourth black fifth green and black tied for fourth but i think i think clearly jess guy then black and green 
Yeah, and I would almost say maybe red equal to blue in second. I've been very impressed with red. Red's great. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, it could be white one, blue and red tied for second. What are some broader format thoughts that we haven't touched on yet? Well, we've been just talking about one drops nonstop this episode, but I do think that is the defining feature of this format for me. That It really does start on turn one with great cards. And as a result... Being pro, you're heavily incentivized, I think, to try to be proactive. Mm-hmm. But what what I've run into in the drafts I've done, which is part of the reason my win rate is so abysmal, like the decks I've gotten, the good decks, I've run poorly, and my opponents have had some great rares. You know, some of the ones that snowball turn two, turn three, turn four, um, and then I've also had some really tough drafts where I've been trying to get into the Just Guy life, and I've been cut out of it, and I haven't really known what to do when that happens. And I think I've got a clearer idea about that now because I've been doing some thinking about it. But then not every draft is going to let you be proactive. Like some drafts, you are going to have to draft Descend or you're going to have to draft Green Black Descend or Blue Black Descend or whatever. Just knowing what to do when Blue White, Red White, Red Blue isn't open for you in your draft, I think is going to be an interesting piece of the format going forward. Well, and I think similar to in Phyrexia All Be One being such an aggressive format, you, if you can't be proactive, and that might even just come down to losing the die roll. You need to make sure your plays are also good when you're on the defensive end of things, right? Like you shouldn't be, certainly don't be afraid to trade off your miners guide wings or whatever if you're on the draw, but also just like making sure that your defensive plays are also cheap, your Cosmium Blasts, whatever, if you're in a defensive flavor of white, like that's been my issue as well. Right. And just the curves being shoved lower. I mean, if you look at deck pictures of trophy decks in the Lords of Limited Discord. Like the curves look like cube decks. They look like mono red cube decks. It's like eight one drops, nine two drops, and some three drops and some four drops. It's it's wild the pictures of the premium decks. It's not a curve. It's a cliff. That's what someone <laughs> in our Discord said. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly right. It's just like one and two and then a ledge <laughs> that drops off to the rest. Yeah, that's fair. So we've talked about this a little bit also, but being able to interact for cheap, very crucial in proactive decks and reactive decks. But I I almost think like setting out to draft a reactive deck is so tough. You need a a reason. It should not be your game one. Your game one plan should be, I want to draft one of the Jeskai color pairs and I want to be assertive. And then if that doesn't pan out, then I think you backdoor into something else. But I agree. I don't think you want to start off being a reactive deck. But to me, that's one of the cool things about the format is that like there's not a clear off ramp for how to pivot from like if you start going after that and you've got like a guide wing and you've got a water wind scout and then blue and white start to dry up like there's no clear way to pivot into black descend from that you know what i mean mm-hmm. so a bit a bit of risk reward there and i think figuring out how to safely bridge that gap when the jeskai stuff isn't open to a deck that is still good and can still compete against those jeskai decks that other people get in the best of one queues is going to be an interesting piece of the puzzle yeah We talked about this earlier, but mulliganing, I think just being aware that you have to be critical of your opening hands, because what you if your opening hand, if you're looking at your opening hand and your reaction to your opponent playing turn one miners guide wing is, well, crap, I'm in trouble. Like you can't keep that hand because your your opponents are going to have turn one miners guide wing or turn one rune lurker bat or turn one whatever so much of the time in the format. I've definitely kept hands where my first play was Waterwind Scout. And I'm like, this is a great hand. I've got the, one of the best commons in my opener. And then I'm like, 
no, 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 stop. Stop playing stuff, please. Just wait. No rush. <laughs> a little no rush magic from StarCraft 2. <laughs> One of the other things that I want to talk to you about is Grasping Shadows. I was just going through and grading our tier list, and I got to Grasping Shadows, and I was like, man, this card could be so good, and it's so bad. Like, I just think how terrible Grasping Shadows is tells you so much about the context of the format. Like, I had it as a B in the tier list. I hadn't updated this since, like, a week ago. And moved yeah. it down to like a D. So this is a three and a black enchantment. It's an uncommon. Um, if you attack alone with a creature, it gets lifelink and death touch until end of turn. And then Grasping Shadows gets a counter on it. Once it has three counters, it flips into a cave, taps for black. You can pay black, tap, remove a counter from it, lose a life, and draw a card. And we were really high on this. We thought this might be the best black uncommon in the set. It's not. It's not even close. Not even close. I do think this card can do work, but... It's really narrow. So I think a D is probably right for this. Yeah, it's hard for me to even imagine the homes because you're taking turn four off the turn that you play it, which is not great to not affect mm-hmm. the board because you're so likely to be under assault as the black deck from Correct. the Jeskai decks. And then you also have to then tap a creature to get the life gain, which is not ideal because you're likely to be under assault again from the Jeskai decks. And then assuming you manage to stay alive and flip it, like it's just so derpy and so dirtily like that the amount when it it's almost like if it works, you've probably already won the game. Like you don't need this to help you like it doesn't help you turn the corner at all against the kinds of decks that are going to be pressuring you. Probably better to just say this card is bad than to like defend it and be like, but in this really narrow scenario, like it's probably just bad. But if you but if you put this in but I think if you put this in a different format, could be the B that we thought it was. And even just an average format that, you know, you start on turn two instead of starting on turn one or that black has better tools to combat what those those decks are doing. It's just a bummer that this fell flat because I was excited to, to play it. But that also just crystallized a lot of things for me. When I moved Grasping Shadows down, that was also when I we talked about that black uncommon that pulls something out of their head. Dreadful Visage v- or visage whatever. Visage of the Dread, yeah. Visage, visage of, the dread. of Dread. That also just suffers from you're just not on board. Like, you got to yeah. get on board. And, and it's awkward because you're like, well, but this will do something later. I mean, it's sort of why we were taught, like, we're high on the iceberg in blue, but, like, it's a two-mana play that doesn't do anything. It doesn't affect the board on turn two. It's really dangerous to be in that spot. Yes. And I think so similar to all the stuff we've been talking about, you know, being under assault, whatever. If both players buy into format starts on turn one, you're both, you know, playing Jeskai, you've got your things, you're... First of all, the games are kind of exhausting. Like there's so many. I'm serious. There's so many decisions in like turns one through five. If you're playing Jeskai deck versus Jeskai deck. The game is on mobile too. Not like because (laughs) of the client, but just like you can never pass priority because you've always got some trinkety thing that can activate. (laughs) And you've got so many like I was playing a red white deck with the um, the one three that you can tap two things. To like ping them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Just like I click on my creature and then, but oh, then I, okay, but I got to click on the equipment behind the creature. <laughs> just horrible. Just, just terrible, huh? But I do think that also bums me out that I've not done so because I do think I've played pretty well and there's just a lot going on in the games in turns one through five in those Just Guy Mirror matches. I do think 
you know, in a couple week or two, like that's going to get a little old maybe because it's going to be offer the same types of complex decisions in turns one through five. Like there's not going to be a ton of variety there. But for right now, I've really enjoyed the gameplay in those mirror matches. Yeah, I'm less jazzed about it. Like this feels it does feel kind of similar to OG Ixalan where I'm like, I can already tell, like, I know what the best thing to do is and it doesn't interest me at all. So I'm going to be like, (laughs) just trying to do whatever other nonsense I can. Um, But the idea of like, if both players are adhering to the rules of engagement of the format starts on turn one, the games do go pretty long. You do have to kind of have stuff like the hidden lands are a bit more relevant than I thought. Like there's a lot of like, okay, the dust settles and now we're in top deck mode and oh man, you... You get a free spell from your land? Okay, that's that's something. Yeah, that has mattered. Late game craft has mattered. Some of the mana sinks. Just having things around that do stuff after you've traded, 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 and you're in top deck mode, which is where it gets to sometimes. I do think you have to be careful about the hidden lands, though, too, especially if you're on the, the guide wing life. Those ETB oh, tap yeah. lands are a cost for sure as well. Like maybe one to two hidden lands. Yeah. Well, should we, what do you, is caves? Where are you at on caves these days? Down. It's bad, right. It's, it's not good. I you, have, so you trophied with a bat cave deck though, right? I did. I, but that was largely just red, white card quality that happened to have a cave sub theme. It was not a caves deck. And I have tried several times in some of these drafts that have been tough for me to pivot into caves There's just so much that has to go right. Like you have to have people not poach the lands from you. You have to have people not poach the payoffs from you. You have to have the payoffs opened. Like there's just so many balls to juggle in the air to try to get it to come together. Yeah, that's too much. But yeah, speaking of, you know, other things going on in the format other than Jeskai, Red Green Dino's been very impressive. We've talked about Descend, like Blue Black Descend control has been crazy impressive to me and even even green black like i've got a green black descend deck right now that i think is gonna do some work once i put together that it was mill two twice to get to descend four i was coming around on it a, a lot more especially because you just can't always get the jeskai decks and then knowing how to make the descend decks tick and have good defense against the jeskai decks is pretty important i think yeah we had an email from one of our listeners who was saying like hey i don't think descend is that terrible like here's a deck that i seven owed with and diamond that's like black descend here are some key pieces and then one of my next drafts that day i opened souls of the lost which is a rare it's one in a black it's like tarmogoyf basically as an additional cost to cast it you discard a card or sack a permanent and then it has fathomless descent its power and toughness are equal to that and then toughness one plus your descend and i was like all right let's give it a shot and like ended up ended up with two copies of it and just a really good blue black descend deck playing two copies of waterlogged hulk i've been running i will say i think if you're doing the descend thing if you're doing like oops all mill which i do think you should be doing like this deck has double hulk double death cap marionette double another chance that's the three mana you can mill to and if you and then you can return two creatures from your graveyard to your hand like i think you want to run more than 40 cards that has been relevant for and i don't i am usually like no that's stupid (laughs) i have done it now i'm i think playing my third 45 card deck of the format i think it's really necessary and it's not been like superfluous i've had i had one game with this deck where i needed even one more turn I was like, I'm gonna, I could win if I had one more card in my library, but I don't have it. So I, I decked, 
but I think it's real. I think the descend decks are real. But again, your your curves can't be clunky. Like this is just all ones, twos, and join the deads in my deck. Yeah, I, here's what I think. I think you're jealous that I took over the title of the main brewer, the main experimenter in the podcast the last couple of formats. And I think you're I think you're going after the title. I think you're coming for the throne. Sorry, if you think that title ever left me, I think you, you're sorely, sorely mistaken. So if the format starts on turn one, I just wanted to look at like tools to combat aggro because I do think that's where I'm looking. Like it feels like everybody's on this. The format starts on turn one. I'm being aggressive. I'm playing my cheap stuff. Like there are tools in the format to combat it. So we've talked about dead weight. Wanted to check the pulse on the two like mini sweepers. So Tectonic Hazard is the single red, one to all of your opponent's creatures, and Malicious Eclipse is the one black black, minus two, minus two to everything. Are we in a world where we might want to main deck these if you're a defensive deck? Hard no on both of those for me. I've been there I like because I've gotten pushed out of Jeskai a couple times, and uh-huh. I... The issue, Tectonic Hazard is just a no, I think. And then Malicious Eclipse is kind of appealing, but you also just have to have your own curve shoved so low. Like, there's never a world where you can build your deck where, like, your stuff survives Malicious Eclipse and your opponent's stuff doesn't. And then if you're trying to play the game where, like, you have your Malicious Eclipse in your opener and you're like, oh, great, I just am not going to play anything and I'll Malicious Eclipse on turn three. Like sometimes your opponent goes Oaken Siren suited up with a thing and then it's a two three and then you're still dying and you have this malicious eclipse rotting in your hand. I've been there. I've tried that life. No go for me. Okay. I I feel like I still might try and live that life, but everything you're saying makes a lot of sense to me. Um, We talked about a braid. We talked about Cosmian Blast, Spring Loaded Saw Blades. We haven't chatted about, but there are some really good high toughness two drops in the format that let you play defensively hermetic nautilus in blue the one for vigi and dauntless dismantler in white that's the one for that has your opponent's artifacts enter the battlefield tapped and then you can like sack it to blow up artifacts of a certain mana value even sunshot militia but i I will say i think that four toughness is kind of the key to get out of range of like whatever they have a two power thing plus they put they put an equipment on it or they put a plus plus one counter from a map token on it um, I think those are good plays to be aware of. And then Blue has some good stuff with like Shipwreck Sentry, the two mana three three. River Herald Scout out of our top blue commons, right? Yeah, it just doesn't get there. I mean, it's a great magic card that just again is kind of homeless in the format, similar to the rat that makes them exile. Your blue decks just want artifacts so badly. Like Oak and Siren is just in the same mana value slot and so much better for what the blue decks are asking of you than River Herald Scout. It's wild that two drop explore is not quite efficient enough to make the cut, the cut but I think that's where we're at in the format. Yeah. Not, not that you're never playing River Herald Scout. It's just not an important piece to the blue decks. It's not premium. Yeah. Yeah. I buy that. So it could be I, in the control decks. Like I would buy that it has a better home in blue black control for sure. Um, the blue, blue, black descend stuff, but blue, red and blue, white is not excited about river Herald scout. And that's a tough place to be as a blue card that doesn't really want to go in blue, white or red, white or red, blue. I mean, and so I'm not sold on all of this, but like, you know, blue gets some blockers here. Black has dead weight. Red has a braid. White has its removal spells. Green doesn't have anything in this department. Like, it doesn't interact, and its cheap creatures aren't great. And I have seen the red green dinos thing, and I've played, you know, Sultai decks or whatever. But I just think, like, you really have to be, I think, pretty focused, streamlined, 
for Green to work, and I don't think it can play defensively. Well, it does get armored kin collar though, right? That's not nothing to maybe three, buy you three, another three, turn game or two. Three. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and then. I think if you're curving out, you gain some life. Then the idea is that you're not playing defense, that you're trying to turn the corner to large trampling offense, maybe quicker than you can die with flyers. And uh, that's all theory crafting for me for the most part. But it did. When I saw the armored kin collar number one on 17 lands prior to recording, I was like, oh, yeah, that checks out. Like, yeah. I, I'm curious to experiment with that. Yeah. Okay. I buy it. I do want to circle back before we take a look at a log here real quick to descend. Just to ask you, because it sounds yeah. like you have more experience actually drafting them than me. Have you pivoted off of starting into Jeskai to a descend deck? Because that that's more the thing I'm curious about right now, how to do that. Because it's, it's hard for me to conceptualize how do I get started drafting a Descend deck if w- every time I'm given a decision, I'm going to bias towards low-curve Jeskai decks, you know? Like, what incentivizes you? When do you know to abandon ship on the Jeskai stuff? Or what's the good enough Descend payoff that you're just willing to start down the Descend line? For example, if that blue-black Mythic, the 8-8 is ridiculous. Like, yeah. I, would ju- I would just start drafting a Descend deck for that if I opened it as my pack one, pick one rare, you know? Uh-huh. How do you... Because it sounds like sometimes you've just decided, eh, I'll draft Descend, and it's worked out well for you. Yeah, I mean, it's you know we were all working with very small sample sizes so i had that blue black deck where i just sort of decided to try souls of the lost um another deck where souls of the lost played a part was one where i started with inti the red 2-2 that's like a busted rare whenever you attack so i started with that a couple copies of belligerent yearling the two mana three two trampler trying to figure out i had a colossal dactyl thinking about maybe i'm going to be red green dinos and then pick six Souls of the Lost was in the pack, plus three other black cards. And so I just decided to take a flyer on that rather than take whatever, a River Herald guide to get me deeper into red-green, and then ended up getting into a base black self-mill deck with with that life, just sort of pivoting that way. But other than that, I haven't like, I don't know what I would get into it at lower rarity for, like Deadweights, maybe like yeah. Dead that's weights. my in theory in my head is that you just realize black is super open, and then yeah. you, you move into black, and then and then draft a black descendant. I think that's it. I think I think you get you you. So maybe yeah, you start Jeskai and you just do a hard pivot for like black being open. That's yeah, I think it's not a light pivot, and I think it's something like this where you're like, oh, I think I'm at a table of people who hate black, and I think that's going to happen at least in these early weeks a fair amount. All right, let's check out a draft log before we go here. So pack one, pick one. See the following cards as options. In the commons, there's a River Herald Guide, two and green for the 3-1 Bidgey. When it ETBs, it explores. There's Compass Gnome, two mana for the 2-1. ETBs, search your library for a land or a cave, put it on top. There's Adaptive Gem Guard, three and a white for a 3-3. Tap two untapped artifacts or creatures you control. Put a plus one plus one counter on it. Activate only as a sorcery. Moving on to the uncommons, we've got some medium ones here. There's a Visage of Dread, one and a black for the artifact. ETBs, you choose an artifact or a creature. That player discards that card. And then you can craft with two creatures into a 5-4 menace that when it ETBs or attacks, you can mill two cards. We've also got Kutzil Malamet Exemplar. That's one green-white for a 3-3. Your opponents can't cast spells during your turn. Love that line of text. It feels very <laughs> safe. And whenever one or more creatures you control, each with power greater than its base power, deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. That's If you can solve that sentence, you're going to do very well on the SATs. And then we've also got Dauntless Dismantler, the 1-4. Artifacts your opponent's control, ETB tapped. And you pay white XX to sacrifice to destroy each artifact with mana value X. I had to twist your arm to draft this the other day. Are you a believer of this card yet? 
I'm not really a believer, but I was shouting it out because I trust you as a, a valued friend and podcast co-host. Fifty <laughs> percent of this podcast. Okay, great. So I, my internal card evaluator told me to skip it, but I read it for you. I, I really appreciate that. Uh, we've also got Quadi Scavenger, two and a green for the three two descend four ETBs. If there are four more permanent cards in your graveyard, return a permanent card from your graveyard to your hand, and your rare Tishana's Tidebinder. Two and a blue for a 3-2 flash. When ETBs counter up to one target activated or triggered ability, if it's an ability of an artifact creature or planeswalker, that permanent loses all abilities for as long as Tidebinder remains on the battlefield. It's a pretty stinky pack, if we're pretty being stinky honest, pack. right? I've had a lot of pretty stinky packs. <laughs> yeah, this isn't great. Like, Tidebinder you would play if you're already in blue, but I don't think it's a pull into blue. Visage of Dread I like in theory, but the more I'm looking at it and just thinking about it, like... I don't know if I want to get into black for this. I think the the main takeaway here is like this pick isn't going to like send you down any path. You're not going to fight over anything for this. So I'm not sure this pick matters a ton. I think it's between those three uncommons for me, Visage, Kutzeel, and Dauntless Dismantler. And maybe just to be a contrarian, I would take the Dismantler here, but I I don't know. I wonder if that's the case, because that was the feeling I had looking with this pack as well. I was almost toying with Compass Gnome just as like a card I'm likely to play, but wouldn't push me in any direction. I wonder also if you're just supposed to take Kutzeel as the best card then, right? Like if if you end up in green-white will be excellent for you, and you're also just completely willing to not put any weight on it pending what other cards you see. Yeah, I buy that. I, I buy that. I did land on the Visage of Dread, um, but I, this was a day ago, and I am—I already was lower on Visage of Dread, and I'm even lower, I think, on it now than I was a day ago. So I think I would pick something other than that in hindsight, but I don't think it matters too much. I think I like Visage of Dread if I know I have a deck where I'm not dying already. Like if I've got two or three dead weights, then I feel better about including Visage. But in terms of taking it early like this, it's already like narrowing the path of your draft a little bit. For sure. Moving on to pack one, pick two, the awkward packs continue. Wow. We've got Promising Vein, a colorless cave, and you can pay one tap, sacrifice it, search your library for basic land card, put it on the battlefield, tap, then shuffle. That card is clunky. Holy cow. Yeah, nothing feels better than just like, okay, just wait. You do nothing. I'll do nothing. Then you keep doing nothing. Then I'll go fetch a land. Like, it's like no one has time for this. <laughs> Nobody's got time for that. There's also a poison dart frog, one in a green for the one one reach, taps to add a man of any color, and you could pay two to give it death touch until end of turn. Echo of Dusk, where are you at on this? One in a black for a two two descend four. If there are four more permanent cards in your graveyard, it gets plus one plus one in lifelink. Are you a believer in descend decks? I think it's still pretty much felt like maybe C minus in descend decks. Like I'm not looking to pick this up, and I don't think I would ever at the end of a draft be like Wish I had Echo of Dusk. I might say, wish I had two drops <laughs> where right. this slots in, but no, yeah. I don't think so. Okay, there's a Dinotomaton, three and a red for the four, three menace. ETB's target creature you control gains menace until end of turn. There's another Visage of Dread. There's Soul Coil Viper, two and a black for the two, three, black tap. Sack it, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield with a finality counter on it at sorcery speed. And another Dauntless Dismantler, shouting it out just for you. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Wow, I could have two Dauntless Dismantlers. Love to see it. Um, with your path, having the black card, I think I like taking so- Soul Coil Viper. There's a Rampaging Spike Tail in the pack. That's the black Mana Cycler, and that could wheel. And so if we're going down this black path, I think that's okay. Yeah, I, I don't have strong feelings. I think I would take Soul Coil Viper regardless of what I took. Pack one, pick one. Maybe if you take Kutzeel, you take a, an Attentive Sunscribe or a Dauntless Dismantler, but none of those go well with Kutzeel either. No. All right, moving on to pack one, pick three. 
See the Ooh. following cards as options. There's a Volatile Wanderglyph, one in red for the 2-2. When it becomes tapped, you can discard a card if you do draw a card. There's Sunfire Torch, the red equipment that gives plus one plus so and equips for one. And then when you attack, you can sack it to deal two to a target. There's another chance, two in a black for the instant, mill two cards and return up to two target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. And then uncommon wise, there's Grasping Shadows, which we're way down on from what we talked about in the episode. There's a Gold Fury Strider. Four and a red, three, five, trample. You can tap two untapped artifacts or creatures to give something plus two, plus O, but like another stinker of a pack here. You have not read the card that I want to take. Which is Brackish Blunder? Which is Confounding Riddle. Really? Two and a blue for an instant, choose one, look at the top four cards, pick one, and then put the rest in your graveyard or counter target spell unless this controller pays four. This is Primo in Descend decks. Primo. For, for the impulse effect? Yeah, for the impulse effect. Being able to counter something is great. Like, I'd say it's probably, I don't know, 80, 20, 75, 25 in terms of how often you're using each mode. But the fact that you get like three permanents in your bin with this card is huge. So are you also that it is shocking to me? The first, I have so many questions. (laughs) (laughs) The content is a flowing. (laughs) The first question is, how do you not die? While you're casting Confounding Riddle to Impulse for three mana. Deadweight, you've done stuff on one and two. You've put in the work. You've put in the work. Okay, so are you by extension then, as a follow-up question, excited about the two and a green that lets you get a creature and a land and dumps the other two in your graveyard? I'm not, but I I could be. Um, One of the reasons I'm not is just because I'm not excited about playing green. (laughs) Okay, that's fair. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Confounding Riddle. So I see what you've selected, which is Volatile Wanderglyph, which is a good card. I wonder even if now that it's today, I mean, Sunfire Torch is in our top three. Glyph is not. like. Well, what I was thinking here with the, the Wanderglyph pick is I, I have no direction, right? So this potentially lets me pivot off black into white, red, or red, blue, which are good mm-hmm. picks if, if that happens to be open. Because the packs I've seen have just been garbage. I have, I have no information about what's open so far, like zero. Sure. And... If Just Guy is not open, potentially like a spicy red black reanimator deck with the Wander Glyph sure. discarding for the Soul Coil Viper. Like I thought it complemented the cards I had well and potentially let me pivot off black. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I don't feel like strong. I'm not like Riddle is the pick here, but I think given that we haven't seen much good in the colors that I'd like to be, I like trying to, as we've often been saying, I like trying to shoot the moon for the Descend deck at this point, and I think Riddle is good at that. Yeah, and then pick four. You get a dead weight to solidify yourself in black a little bit, and the, and the draft goes goes onwards from there. End up settling into the green-black deck that I am piloting right now. We'll see how it does. I, I was just saying, I was like, record is 1-0. What happened? I need, I need to know how this performs. The people need to know. <laughs> well, well, tune in after this recording. I will be right. streaming for about an hour probably. Well, and we'll have the link for this draft log if you want to see the rest of it where you download the show so you can follow along and see Ben's updated record to see how it goes. The deadweight pick four just like – I was feeling so anxious and like as soon as I saw the dead weight, just my go. shoulders just dropped. Yeah, I had a big <laughs> exhale. That is how it feels though. Like you're just like, oh no, oh no. There's a card right next to Deadweight Dig Site Conservator that I also wanted to just shout out as like not as good because it's a two mana two one. This is the when it dies, you can pay four to discover four and you can sacrifice it to exile four things from their graveyard. It's just tough. Like this just trades down a lot of the time. 
It's not that it's bad, but it's not the premium. You know, I thought like, oh, premium, colorless two drop this is going to be a high pick and draft. I just don't think it is. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right. That was a lot. I, I'm I'm curious to see where this format goes. I am excited to explore more. I'm excited to to get the old dubs flowing after my luck turns around here a little you're bit. Gonna, you're going to get some dubs flowing. We got a lot of stuff to uh, to look forward to this week. We've got Thanksgiving on Thursday. We've got the Lords versus Resources showdown on Tuesday. We've got the arena open this weekend. I'm excited for all of that. I am not sure. I think I'm pretty happy that we've got cons of Tarkir. <laughs> I, to look forward to. I, I'm I'm pretty low on this set right now. Well, that's my feeling as well, but I feel like that's just going to sound like me griping and complaining because I Correct. haven't been able to win. So I'm trying to be positive, optimistic, yeah. want to explore, want to... Yeah, I'm not willing to write the format off yet, mostly because I want to feel like I, I conquer it before I, I write it off. The rules of engagement just feel so restrictive to yes. me at the moment. Like it does f- feels like OG Exelon to me, where it's just like you you gotta be aggressive, and if you're not, it's so hard. But I also feel like I just wish I could play in high level pods all the time because I do feel like the self correcting uh-huh. nature of draft would come about. Like I could Correct. see it being very interesting in high level pods. That's why I am really jazzed about the showdown, and I'm really jazzed about the arena open. Lots lots of magic to be thankful for. For sure. All right, great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to CoolStuffInc.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over there for any and all purchases, please use code LOL at checkout when you do to let them know we sent you over there, and more importantly, to get 5% off of anything you purchase. You can find all of our content at LordsOfLimited.com. There's that tier list we know you want to see those rankings you can see just how far grasping shadows has fallen on that tier list we've also got our merch courtesy of t public we've got our patreon page we've got our episode backlog we've got links to our youtube and twitch channels all of that is available on our website if you got any feedback about the show or any questions shoot us an email at lords of limited at gmail.com thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of lords of limited thanks everybody see you later